We're continuing our scary stories in October with uh, an episode devoted to werewolves today. Uh, you know, werewolves, you know, the, the, I guess when, you know, like teen wolf or something, when you just turn into a wolf because of a full moon or some ridiculous crap. Um, no, but today, uh, we have a few stories here of people who Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and today we're talking about werewolves. Uh, if you want to get technical, uh, the uh, act or pra- practice, or I don't know, but is also known as lycanthropy. Um, just wanted random trivia for that. Um, but yeah, there are several instances throughout history where people uh, claimed to be werewolves, where people believed that some people were werewolves. And so today we're looking at the stories of uh, Gilles Garnier, Peter Stump, Thies of Kaltenbrunn, and Bill Ramsey. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to see, just like last week, if... Uh, So our first story here uh, is about Gilles Garnier. Uh, This was just a shy, uh, kind of a hermit uh, guy living in the town of Dole, France. I assume it's Dole. Maybe it's Dole. No, that's probably like Spanish. I don't know. It's Dole, France. Um, (laughs) uh, But despite his shyness, Gilles actually uh, got married and moved to a home in an isolated part of the countryside near the town of Dole. Uh, But soon into the marriage, Gilles realized that being responsible for the well-being of someone other than himself was just something that he wasn't actually ready for. So in October of 1572, uh, Gilles was walking through the forest hunting for food to bring back to his wife. And it wasn't going well, probably because uh, he was hunting at night. And that's just a really difficult thing to do. But uh, suddenly... A ghost appeared in front of him and offered him a special ointment that would turn him into a wolf to make it easier uh, to hunt since wolves primarily, you know, hunt at night, maybe. I don't know. They have good night vision. We know that. Um, So as you might expect, Gilles took the ointment and immediately became a werewolf. And at that point, he would go out every night and started stalking children who like what's going on in France where children are just walking around unattended at night. Um Eventually, he happened upon a 10-year-old girl outside of a vineyard in Dole. He strangled her, ripped off her clothes, and and ate her arms and thighs. Uh, After he had finished eating, he took the remainder of the flesh home to his wife, who I guess was apparently too stupid to realize anything was odd, you know, such as her husband being a werewolf or at least naked and covered in blood, because obviously, you guys, the rules of werewolfism uh, state that once you turn into a werewolf, you lose your clothes and are naked when you turn back into a human. You know, or maybe Gilles ran back and got his clothes when he turned. I I just, I don't know. There's a lot of like holes in this story that make it seem kind of, you know, kind of iffy. A few days later, after the first attack, Gilles attacked another girl, but was forced to flee when a group of people came upon the scene. Despite several attempts to save the girl's life, uh, she ended up dying from her injuries a few days later. 
The next month, uh, Gilles attacked a 10-year-old boy, eating his thighs and his stomach and uh, ripping off one of his legs to have a snack on later. He, uh, Gilles also went on to strangle another boy to death, but this time he was interrupted again by another group of people before he could actually eat the child. The next year, so we're at 1573 now, the next year he killed another boy by ripping him in two from the waist, literally just pulled him apart, allegedly. Um, in, uh, in, uh, yeah, that year, later that year, uh, he strangled a girl and ripped off her leg uh, to take home to his wife. Still, apparently, didn't realize. Like, also, like, how do you not know that you're eating, you know, a person? Like, dude just brings home a leg, and like what? He's just gonna try to pass it off as like, oh no, this is a, this is a very weird cow, you know, because he's French. I don't know, um, but no, like it's very obviously like a child's leg or something, whatever. Um, finally, one night as Gilles was tearing at the flesh of another dead child, uh, a group of people recognized him. Which, how do you recognize a guy who is apparently supposed to be a wolf? I don't know. Anyway, uh, they recognized Gilles and reported him to the authorities, and he was arrested a short time later. At the trial, Gilles readily confessed to the murders and told the jury about the ghost and the magical werewolf ointment. Um, and because this was kind of the Middle Ages and acts of sorcery like that were widely held as fact, everyone believed him. And that's probably why this story, you know, has kind of continued in this form today. Um, over 50 witnesses came forward and claimed that they had seen Gilles attack and kill children in the fields and vineyards around Dole. And so Gilles was ultimately convicted of witchcraft and lycanthropy, which, like, as I said earlier, is the, you know, the legal term. Our second story uh, is about Peter Stump, but uh, Peter's story kind of begins when he's already on trial. Um, you know, he's already been stretched on the rack, and he's about to be tortured further when he finally confesses to having practiced black magic since he was 12 years old. Um, and, you know, He confesses that the devil had given him a magical belt that transformed him into a werewolf. Um, the problem is that no one ever found this belt, but pro prosecutors noticed that Peter Stump was missing his left hand, um, which happened to match uh, the alleged wolf that had been spotted, you know, killing people all around this German town at the time. Um, and this wolf had been terrorizing the countryside for the last 25 years, mauling sheep, goats and people just all to death. And basically what ended up happening was people kind of put two and two together like oh that wolf was missing a leg or you know whatever peter's missing his hand peter is clearly a werewolf let's arrest him put him on trial and peter stump actually ended up confessing to eating 14 children including his own son along with two pregnant women whose fetuses were ripped out and eaten alive because you know it's a german story they have to be super graphic about that um Stump actually even described the fetuses as, quote, dainty morsels. Why he had to do that, I don't know. Um, to make things worse, uh, Stump was also accused of having an incestuous relationship with his daughter, another distant relative, and a succubus because, I, like Germans, they just can't help themselves. Whether this story's true or not, like, even their, like, made-up stories are just so over-the-top graphic. You know, like, we should have seen the whole Nazi thing coming. Just, you know, because these stories are just ridiculous. Um, so because because he started admitting to these incestuous relationships, uh, his daughter was also sentenced to die along with him. Uh, so October on October 31st, 1589, 
Uh, Peter Stump was put onto a breaking wheel where the flesh was torn from his body in 10 different places. Like, God, old-timey executions used to be so much fun. Now what do we have? Lethal injection, firing squad, electric chair. Ooh, no. All right. Let's put people back on a breaking wheel and have them rip to shreds. That's fun. All right. Especially if they're like super heinous, like all these mass shootings, you know, if the, if, you know, what, what's his face? Um, uh, the, I don't know any of the mass shooters who are still alive. There aren't very many, but, uh, you know, let them not, not no life sentence for them. All right. Let's put them on a breaking wheel and let's have some fun. All right. That's like one of the things I'm hardcore Republican on, you know, just let's, let's not, the death penalty isn't enough. Let's take it back to the middle ages and get, you know, medieval on these people. Anyway, um, along with having, uh, along with being torn in 10 different places, uh, Peter Stump had red hot pinchers pressed onto his arms and legs. Uh, the executioner then took the blunt end of an ax and broke Peter's arms and legs. So, you know, in the event that Peter became a zombie, he couldn't just crawl out of the grave. And that was literally the reason why they did that. Um, you know, they believed silly things like that. Um, Peter was then also beheaded and then burned. Meanwhile, uh, Stump's daughter and another relative that he had had a relationship with had already been hacked to pieces and burned. And um, local authorities, in an attempt to dissuade further werewolfism in the area, erected a pole with a torture wheel attached and placed Peter Stump's severed head on the top. And that is so metal. Oh, God. Such a fun, fun times. Like, aside from the rampant disease and poor hygiene, like, that's the kind of stuff that really just... Ah oh, man, that would be so cool to just, I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm alone on that one. Uh, anyway, uh, our next, our next story, uh, is about Thies of Kaltenbrunn. Uh, in 1691, this 80 year old man named Thies, maybe it's Tice. I don't know. T H I E S S. It's probably Tice, but I'm going to say Thies cause it's, it's, I just, just the thought that maybe there's one of you out there that like, it's Tice. Ah, it's Tice. I'm going to keep saying it wrong just to annoy you. Um, Thies was brought before a judge in Jürgensburg, which was a small town in Swedish Livonia, which now occupies modern day Estonia. So it's almost absolutely Thies. Uh, there was <laughs> Thies was there as a potential witness to a church robbery, but everyone in the town knew that Thies was actually a werewolf and had made a deal with the devil. Um, on this occasion, though, the court really didn't care because it had nothing to do with the case they were trying, um, despite, you know, lycanthropy being very illegal at the time. Thies in turn, didn't care about the church robbery case um, and didn't care that the court didn't care about his werewolfism. And he began explaining to them how he had, in fact, become a werewolf, but, you know, had given it up a decade prior. And so he told the court that he had been in the same court 10 years ago after he had traveled to hell as a werewolf to confront a farmer who was a practicing satanic witch. And during the fight, the farmer, you know, bopped Thies on the head with a broomstick, breaking his nose. And when he told this, uh, you know, he actually told this story to the court 10 years prior, but was laughed out of the courtroom. However, this time when he retold the story, uh, the judges took him seriously. And 
It started when, quote, a rascal, that's what he called it, uh, had proposed a toast to Thies, who at the time was just a beggar. The toast somehow gave Thies the ability to turn into a werewolf. And even more, Thies could, you know, then toast other people and pass on the transformation to others by breathing into a jug three times and chanting, you will become like me, you will become like me, you will become like me. And, you know, once the other person took the jug, they would then become a werewolf and Thies would, you know, go back to being a normal person. The problem was that Thies could never actually find someone to take his jug. And he went on to explain that on three nights every year, which was St. Lucia's Day, St. John's Day, and the Pentecost, he and other people would transform into werewolves by putting on a wolf pelt, which, you know, really just sounds more like bad cosplay than actual transformation. Um, And they would go around to area farms and massacre any animal that got in their way. However, rather than eating them raw like most wolves would do, the group would then return to human form and roast the meat before eating it. So already I'm calling, you know, red flags on this actually being a true werewolf story. Um, Despite all the very obvious crimes he was committing, like murder, uh, Thies made it clear that the werewolves were instruments of God. And he explained that he and the other werewolves made regular trips down to a swamp near Limburg, which might actually be known as uh, Lviv, Ukraine. I don't know if that's how you spell it. L-V-I-V. It's a big city in Ukraine. Lviv, Ukraine. I don't know. Whatever. And from there, uh, they entered hell. So look, if you know anything about Ukraine, yeah, it's probably where you get to hell. It's a terrible place. Um, and once they were in hell, I don't, I, I have no basis for saying that. Um, once they were in hell, though, they battled against the devil and the witches, you know, who worked for the devil. And one of the confused judges, like you're probably very confused right now, was just like, but if you hate the devil, then why do you constantly go visit him? Which valid question, I guess. And these explain that the werewolves needed to go to hell in order to return all of the grain and livestock that the witches had stolen from area farms, which of course made complete sense, even though, you know, if we learned anything about the last episode is that the witches, they didn't care about grain and livestock. They cared about penises, but you know, whatever. Uh, And so when they asked uh, Thies if he attended church or prayed on a regular basis, Thies replied that he didn't because he was too old to understand anything that was going on. And that was all the court needed to sentence Thies to a flogging and banishment because, you know, obviously he was a werewolf and not just a senile, crazy old man. But whatever. Um, This story, the final story here, the story of Bill Ramsey might be your best, um, you know, case for being a werewolf um even though you know maybe he didn't actually grow fur or anything but it's just a really weird thing that happened so um story starts sometime around 1952 when nine-year-old bill ramsey was playing in his parents garden in the small town of south end in england when he started feeling strange Uh, he felt cold the sweat that had begun to bead on his skin actually froze he started emitting a terrible odor that almost made him vomit But instead of looking for help, Bill could only think of wolves and running away to the coast for weird. Um, His mother, who was watching from the kitchen, called out to see if he was okay. And seconds later, Bill just became filled with rage. He uprooted a fence post with the fence still attached and and just started screaming and swinging it around, you know, and fences are pretty heavy. And so for like a nine year old kid to just uproot a fence post and start swinging the whole fence around, it's pretty impressive. 
Um, as Bill's parents ran out to help him, he then crammed the wire mesh of the fence into his mouth and started chewing on it. At that point, Bill's parents just turned around and ran back inside because that is the only thing you do as a parent. Like, I don't care, you know, obviously I don't have kids, so I, you know, I don't really truly know what it's like, but like, if I see my kid just start eating fence, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let him just gonna let him simmer down. Just let him, let him work it out with the fence, you know, whatever, you know, maybe his punishment will be to go repair the fence that he chewed on, but I'm not going near him. No way. Um, the, <laughs> they, and you know, but nothing really happened after that. And, and fast forward now, 30 years later, you know, I don't know what happened to the fence, but that's just how the story goes. Uh, 30 years later in 1983, after Bill was married and the father of three kids, uh, Bill was out at a London bar with a few of his friends. And after a few drinks, he started to feel the same freezing chills he had experienced as a child. He excused himself to the bathroom where upon looking at his reflection in the mirror, he saw the face of a wolf instead of his own face. And, you know, whether he actually had the face of a wolf or it was just his imagination, I don't know. The story's not super clear on that. But after a few panicked moments, he, he finally pulled himself together and went back out with his friends. Well, on the drive home, Bill started growling and then he turned to his friend driving the car. And without warning, Bill leaned over and tried to bite his friend's leg. Somehow, with like more calmness than any man should possess, this friend just pulled over and walked over to the passenger side and spent the next several minutes trying to just pull Bill out of the car. Um, you know, like if I'm, but see, like, like if I'm driving and like my passenger just leans over and tries to bite my leg, like, no, no, there's no calm at that point. Like I'm punching you in the face and then I'm like slamming on brakes, squealing tires, and I'm throwing you out of the car preferably uh, off of a bridge into a, a small, you know. But, you know, after that, like, Bill calmed down, everything returned to normal. So just before Christmas that year, Bill, again, he started feeling pain in his chest and he drove himself to the hospital thinking like he was at, about to have another episode. So as the nurse took his blood pressure, he leaned down and bit her arm before jumping out of the bed and running down the emergency room hallway. And when people saw him, like his shoulders were hunched forward, his hands were like twisted into claws. Anyone who tried to subdue him was just quickly thrown aside like it was nothing. And eventually a police officer and a team of nurses were able to handcuff Bill and shoot him with a tranquilizer. When the tranquilizer wore off the next morning, Bill had no memory of what had happened. And he was examined by a doctor who recommended that he stay for some additional evaluation. But Bill refused and voluntarily checked himself out of the hospital. Two months later, uh, Bill was leaving his mother's house when he felt, you know, everything start to happen again. He made it back to the hospital just in time to be uh, subdued by four police officers, one of which suffered such severe injuries from the struggle that he was hospitalized for four days. Um, Bill was, again, handcuffed and taken to the police station where it was recommended that he check himself into a mental institution. But since Bill didn't really like the social stigma associated with being in a mental institution, he decided against it and tried to just go back to living a normal life. Um, four years later, Bill made a citizen's arrest on a teenage prostitute, why he found a teenage prostitute and what he was doing, 
to find a teenage prostitute. I don't know. But um, he made a citizen's arrest on her and drove her to the police station. But as he parked his car and a police officer approached, the chills and the chest pains returned. Uh, Bill actually attacked the officer, nearly choking the guy to death before a dozen officers rushed out and restrained him. Uh, Bill underwent several tests over the next week, but no doctors could really figure out what was wrong with him. Um, and at this point, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are American, were, I guess, they're both dead now, uh, both uh, um, you know, we'll probably get into more of their stories uh, later on in the series, but, you know, definitely dealt a lot with, you know, demonic possession and ghosts and stuff like that. Um, they actually heard about Bill's story and contacted him with an offer to por- perform an exorcism. And, um, after a brief, you know, negotiation or whatever, you know, Bill agreed to fly to Connecticut where the Warren's church was located, where he would have an exorcism with Bishop Robert McKenna. And the trip was sponsored by the British tabloid, the people. Um, and the, that publication had um, nicknamed Bill the Werewolf of London, which, you know, only because of the Warrens of On song, you know, it's just fun little wordplay. Um, but Bill uh, arrived in Connecticut in 1989. Um, the night before the exorcism, Bill actually tried to strangle his wife, you know, but like nothing really ever happened. Like he didn't actually kill her. She just was like, yeah, it's just Bill, you know, whatever. Like no charges were ever filed or anything. It's just like a weird little random detail in the story. Um, but the next day at the exorcism, uh, Bishop McKenna uh, started the started the exorcism ritual and he started speaking in Latin. And that got that just made Bill very angry. Um, after about 30 minutes of McKenna just kind of chanting in Latin, Bill's face began to change and his hands began to contort themselves into claws. McKenna held a crucifix in front of Bill's face, commanding in Latin that the demon inside Bill leave immediately. And at that point, Bill launched into a fit of rage, moving slowly towards McKenna as if he was about to kill him. But then as McKenna yelled out one final command for the demon to leave, Bill just kind of fell flat onto the floor. And at that point, like Bill was seemingly back to normal and he started claiming that he had been completely cured and that he didn't have, you know, uh, didn't worry about, you know, his little werewolf feelings ever returning. Um, the entire exorcism was actually recorded on film, but of course no one actually knows where that film is. Uh, Bill was last heard from in 1992, and no one's actually... So there you go. Uh... I don't know, werewolves, man, you know, are they real? Probably not, at least not based on these stories, probably just a lot of mentally unstable people uh, who somehow in fits of psych. What did we learn? Number one, um, governments uh, back in the Middle Ages seriously had laws against being a werewolf uh, on the books. And people were tried, you know, and, and convicted for being werewolf. 
Uh, apparently, some werewolves were used by God to go fight the devil uh, in, you know, in Ukraine, which, you know, of course, is the portal to hell. Um, you know, so, yeah, you know, werewolves are not necessarily demonic. They, they, you know, God uses werewolves, guys. For real. Totally. And uh, number three, God, man, medieval torture methods. So much fun. So, so creative. So violent. And for the, well, I don't know for the most part, but, you know, definitely deserved for some people. And part of me really wishes we could bust those back out for some people today. Next week, we continue our Halloween themes with a couple of stories about mummies yeah you, you probably haven't even thought about mummies in a while as being a, a halloween theme care i mean i haven't anyway typically you just think about like vampires and ghosts and, and werewolves and such but uh and witches but yeah we got mummies ironically uh these two stories both happened in 1911 um very strange, but they are, they, these are a couple of fun stories. So, um, and unlike the last two weeks, these absolutely happened and, uh, you know, uh, you will, the next week will be a fun episode for sure. So thank you for listening. Tell all of your friends and keep it weird. (laughs) 